So this morning, um, something I wanted to talk about is freedom. And the title of my message is going to be this, Set Me Free. Set me free. I don't know about you, um, but there are probably a lot of people in this room who are experiencing um, what in the Bible would call slavery. Um, there are many of us who are walking around with burdens that are too heavy for us to bear. There are many of us with things in our lives and circumstances that we just shouldn't be going through. When you feel weighed down by life, you feel like you just can't go another day. So today I want to give you a message of hope and ultimately a message of freedom. And I believe God's gonna do something supernatural this morning. Again, it is Kids and Youth Sunday before I really get into it. And um, we're excited about that. So I thought this message would be great for that as well because these problems that I'm gonna talk about today are not just problems that adults are experiencing, but they're problems that, that our youth, that our kids are experiencing as well. Things are happening at ages a lot younger and younger. I feel like the more time goes on, the more kids are getting exposed to things they shouldn't be, are seeing things they shouldn't be. So we're gonna talk about it today. It's gonna get real and I'm excited about it. But with a show of hands, how many of you guys have kids that are involved in any of our programs? Let me see. Elevate Kids, the nursery, the youth. Oh, you guys don't wanna raise your hands, do you? Y'all know what I'm about to ask, huh? If you raise your hands, you just signed up to volunteer next week. Yeah, all right. No, I'm just kidding. But on a serious note, we are always, always, always looking for um, people who are willing and ready to disciple the youth and the kids today because it takes a team to raise it. I just had a second child and it took my wife and I like an hour and a half to leave the house this morning. It is no joke. So I know that it takes a village to really disciple these kids and to show them the things that are most important. I didn't really think it'd be that big of a jump from one to two kids. I always heard it was a jump from like two to three. But this one to two jump, that was, that was no joke, all right? For any of you thinking about having the second child, if, if you have one. Anyway, that's enough of that. So uh, like I said, the title of today's message, Set Me Free. We're going to be in John chapter 5, if you have your Bibles with you, a physical Bible, a version Bible on your phone, that is where we are going to be. The story takes place at a pool called the Pool of Bethesda. And historically, we have thought this pool to be a, a, a healing pool. The scripture actually says it was added in later. It wasn't in the original manuscripts that we see. But it said that an angel of the Lord would come down to this pool where there were sick people lying all around, paralyzed, lame, people with infirmities. They would lay around this pool and an angel of the Lord would come down to it and stir the waters up. And as soon as the waters bubbled up and stirred up, the first one to jump in would then be healed. Or at least that's what we all think, right? Right? But let me give you guys a history lesson today because I just found this out a couple weeks ago and it kind of blew my mind. I always thought that was how the story read, but that part was added in later in, in the verse of somebody who wasn't alive during this, this um, cultural period. What actually was happening is this pool of Bethesda was actually a shrine to a pagan god called Asclepius. Asclepius, and this pagan god was the Greek god of health and well-being. And this was like a place of worship. There were two pools, an upper pool and a lower pool, and they were separated by this wall. And the wall had like a vent or a grate on it that you could open up and drain the top one to the lower one. And guess what happens when you drain the top one to the lower one? The water bubbles up, it stirs up. So there were these scam artists that were going around and they were artificially making this water stir up and they would place people around the pool who pretended to be sick who pretended to be lame, to have some sort of sickness, and they would jump in the pool as soon as it opened up, and then they would jump up and exclaim, I'm healed, I'm free. And then immediately after that, they would take an offering for this Greek God. They would say, listen, if you give money, you're next. If you give money, your healing is coming next. So that's what they would do. They would, they would use this method to scam people out of their money. This was not a holy place. This was not a place that we would think Jesus 
should be hanging around at. But that's where our story picks up in John chapter five, verse two, it says this. Now in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, there is a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethesda, having five porticos or five walls. In these porticos lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, limping, or paralyzed. And then it says this part that was added in later, waiting for the moving of the waters for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first after the stirring up of the water stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. But remember, we just found out that's not true. That's not what was happening. There were scam artists around that were making this happen. And verse five says this, now a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. That is a long time to be ill. I would imagine many of these years were spent laying next to this pool with false hope, with hope that he might get healed, with hope that he might be the next one in the pool. Verse number six says this, Jesus, upon seeing this man lying there and knowing that he had already been in that condition for a long time, said to him, do you want to get well? What a great question from Jesus. Do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, He didn't say yes or no, but he said, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. This man gave an excuse as to why he's not getting well. He didn't say he wants to. He didn't say he does not not want to get better. He does want to get better, but he said, I'm never going to because I'm not fast enough to make it into the pool. So he gives Jesus an excuse. He very clearly does not know who is standing right in front of him. He doesn't know the God that Jesus serves. So Jesus says to him, and I love Jesus, this man answers him with this question, I have nobody to put me in the pool. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. And immediately, not five minutes later, not 10 minutes later, not the next day, but immediately this man who had been ill for 38 years stands up and walks out of that pool in a place where he was looking to meet this Greek God and and have all this false hope. Jesus met him where he was. Jesus met him and the man was not even looking for Jesus. This man was stuck. He was trapped for 38 years. And maybe you've been trapped for a long time. Maybe there are things in your life. Maybe there's a sin in your life. Maybe there's a relationship in your life. Maybe there's an illness in your life that has kept you trapped for a long time. And again, I know I've said this already this morning, but God wants to bring you freedom this morning. Now I wanna switch gears real quick and tell you about a time in my life that I was stuck that I was kind of stagnant. So my friend and I, we bought, a, uh, we bought season passes to go snowboarding up at Anthony Lakes one year. And we were jacked about it. We were like, let's go. We're gonna go every single weekend. We're gonna get our money's worth. You know how like, I calculated how, much, how many times I would have to go in order to get my money's worth? And I think I went like, the, like, I think it was like 10 times I had to go to get my money's worth and I went like 11. So I got my money's worth out of the season passes and it was amazing. But every day, every weekend when we would go up to, to the mountain, my buddy and I would have this conversation. So whose car are we gonna take? Mind you, I drive a 2014 Toyota Corolla. That's an economy vehicle. It's a stick shift, okay? No power. If it, if it rains outside, the thing is like swerving around. I can't do anything because it is not a, a vehicle meant to handle rough terrain. Now my friend... He drove a car, it was a Nissan Xterra. If you know anything about a Nissan Xterra, it's this big like SUV meant to kind of go off-road, meant to go up these icy hills. But my car, oh, the Toyota Corolla, 35 miles to the gallon. I mean, you can't beat that, right? And he, his car was getting like 15 to 17 miles to the gallon going on these trips. He's like, Austin, we gotta take your car. The gas mileage, way better. I'm like, all right. I get it. I really don't want to take my car. Hopefully the roads are good. The past couple times we went, the roads had been clear all the way up to the mountain and it was fine. This particular morning, 
The one morning, we decided to drive my car up this mountain. Has anybody been to Anthony Lakes before? A few people? There's like this one stretch as you're heading up the mountain that is just like super long, super straight, and it was super icy this morning. And we're driving up the mountain. I had chains in the trunk, but I didn't have them on because we had driven on the highway, obviously, and the highways and stuff were clear. And as we are approaching this long, straight stretch, I'm thinking to myself, I've driven in snow before. I delivered pizzas for a long time in the bad weather. So I knew how to drive in snow. I knew that if I needed to get somewhere on the other side of some ice, I had to get going really fast. That was the only way I was going to make it because my car couldn't get the traction. It wasn't heavy enough. So we're approaching this hill. I see it. I'm like, Skylar, you got to hold on, man, because we're about to go up this mountain. So I, I, I floor it. And we went from zero to like 12 in like <laughs> 10 seconds. So I floor it. We go up this hill and we make it about halfway, and no lie, my car slides back down to the bottom. I was on a roller coaster. It was the scariest moment in my life. I thought to myself, well, we're stuck. We are not making it up this mountain. We're either going home or we're waiting till this ice melts off the road, okay? That was what was happening in my mind. So Skylar's like, bro, we gotta do it. I'm like, dude, I'm kind of nervous. Like, I don't think we're gonna, like, I'm scared. A car could come up behind us. We could slide it. I got, there were so many things that could have gone wrong. Could have plummeted to my death on the other side of the road. I don't know. Okay, all those things were going through my mind. The good news was my car was paid off, so I didn't, you know, it's my problem now, okay? So anyway, we try a couple more times, same thing. We get up, one time we almost made it to the top. I was like, Skylar, get out, push, quick. He didn't make it, but it was fine. The last time I was like, Skylar, this is like our last chance. If we, if we don't make it, we're going home because my car, is, or we're walking up the mountain to go snowboarding, okay? We'll leave the car here. So this last time, I'm like, I've used this trick a couple times. My car's front wheel drive. So I took my car in reverse. We had been stuck for like 30, 45 minutes trying to make it up this mountain. So I'm like, Skylar, we're gonna go up backwards. This is the only way that I think we're gonna make it up this mountain, okay? So I turn my car around and I'm like praying to God. I'm like, listen, Lord, if it's my time, okay? Take me quick. So I go, I floor it going backwards, probably eight miles an hour up this hill, right? But the amazing part about it was is that we were no longer stuck. We were moving steadily up this hill because all the weight was being put on the front of my car since it's front wheel drive. And so we were slowly, slowly going up the mountain. And I, I, we finally made it up the mountain. We got to go snowboarding. It was a great day, but it was not off to a great start. We were stuck for so long trying to get to this future that we could see. Can I tell you something? Many of us are like that. We've been living a life stuck. We've been stagnant. There's been things in our life that haven't allowed us to move forward. Maybe you don't have the right equipment to get out of the situation you were in. I didn't have the right equipment. I had chains in my car. I guess I could have put those on, but I wasn't thinking. But many of us are living life like this. There's things happening in life that we just can't get out of. And if you're here today and you feel trapped, you feel like you're stuck, you feel like something has a hold of you, I want to share a few points from this story about this man at the pool of Bethesda and how Jesus set this man free and how he can set you free too. Now, this isn't going to be a how-to sermon. I can't give you five steps and you're going to be free, okay? We're just going to draw some, some conclusions from this text. This is, these are things you could do in your own free time. These are just the things that I saw in the scripture and I wanted to share them with you. So number one, if there is something in your life that is really making it difficult for you to move forward. It's really weighing you down. Maybe you feel like you're literally chained together, like you got a pair of handcuffs on, like you can't move past it. Number one, they'll tell you this, medical professional will tell you this, you gotta recognize the problem, okay? A lot of us live in denial, and I'll prove it to you. A lot of you lived in denial this morning when you walked in here. No shame, no condemnation, but let me tell you how. 
you walked in here, somebody said, hey, how's it going this morning? And you said, I'm good, but you lied to us. You're not good. That's just what we say, right? You actually just got in an argument with your family 20 minutes before you left church. Two kids, no joke, I'm telling you, okay? No joke. But you're not good because we're not recognizing the problems that we're experiencing in our lives. We know they're there, we feel them, we experience them, we see them, but when it comes time to deal with them, no, I don't really got that problem. I'm good. They just asked me how I was, I'm fine. Like, Like, I'll make it another day. That's what we tell ourselves because we're afraid to be vulnerable. We're scared, to, we're scared to tell people what's really going on in our lives. But let me tell you this. There is no healing that which is hidden. God cannot heal what you refuse to give to him, what you refuse to recognize. If there's a problem in your life and you want it gone, Jesus isn't gonna come in and just take it. He's not a wrecking ball. He's a, he's a gentleman, actually. He will wait for you to be fully ready to surrender to give it over to him. Whatever the problem is in your life, and we'll, we'll talk about some of these problems. Maybe for you, there's an addiction in your life. Maybe you have some fear that you're dealing with. Maybe, maybe you have some depression, anxiety, mental health issues. Maybe you're just bogged down by people's opinions of you, right? We live in the age of everybody having an opinion. Um, and maybe you're in an unhealthy relationship. I don't know. There could be things in your life that you are not admitting to yourself. And Jesus isn't gonna come and take those things from you unless you give them to him. I know I've shared my story so many times from this stage uh, of overcoming an addiction to pornography. I, I had a problem for years and it wasn't until I confessed to another living, breathing human being that Jesus set me free from it. I'm not lying to you. There's a verse in the Bible that I held on to. First John chapter one, verse nine says this. Hold on, I forgot it. Oh, I was preaching, all right. It says this. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It says if. If you confess, if you recognize there's a problem, if you decide to tell somebody how you're actually doing, then then God is faithful, which means he will do it, and just to not just forgive you, but to cleanse you of that thing, to set you free from that thing that you're experiencing. So whatever it is in your life, it doesn't have to be sin. It could just be, hey, I'm having a really bad day today. Like God can set you free from that bad attitude. It can be anything, but he will not do that until you confess. And I know that's the scariest part. I remember before I told this person, um, I literally sat in a ball of tears for 30, 45 minutes. I tried so hard to get the words out of my mouth to say, I need help, but I physically couldn't do it. It was like they were there, they were in my brain, I could feel them, but my mouth couldn't move. Because the enemy knew that as soon as I would confess my sin, Jesus would set me free and he wouldn't have a hold on me anymore. That's where I was at. And as soon, I am not kidding you guys, as soon as I said the words I need help and began to share what was happening in my life, this immense weight came off of my shoulders. I literally felt it leave. It was like you've ever been on a squat rack. It's like when you put it back on the rack. You're like, okay, cool, I can feel my legs again. Like, literally, I could walk around again. I didn't feel heavy anymore. I didn't feel like I couldn't go another day with this secret that I was holding on inside of me. I felt like I could walk around, like I could move, and like I could finally live in the purpose that God had called me to. That's what it was about for me. And maybe for you, you need to just confess. Not sin, it doesn't have to be sin. I don't want there to be any shame, condemnation coming out out here. Um, But let me tell you, if if you're feeling conviction, that's God. If, you're, if there's like something in your mind right now that you're thinking about, 
That's probably the Holy Spirit bringing it up to you. It's not an accident that you're here this morning. It's not an accident that Jesus is trying to speak to you right now. I've been praying for weeks about this message. I know that he's brought people here who need help and who need set free. There is no shame in that. I was in that exact position. And I'm sure I'll be in that exact position later on down the road. But now I have the tools in my belt to deal with what comes my way. The Bible says that if I confess, he is faithful and just to forgive. And let me tell you this. We have to be vulnerable and transparent, but a lot of us are just being honest. And let me tell you the difference between vulnerability and transparency and honesty. Honesty is like this. Let's say I get home one day. Uh, I'll use a real story for my life, okay? Uh, one day I was in sixth grade and my mom had this, you know, fan on the ceiling and I couldn't quite reach the thingies on it, you know, the, to pull the light on. And so I thought I was cool that I would run across the room and I would jump up and pull the light on. But one time I jumped up, I grabbed the light, the little string, I pulled it and it flew back up into the glass surrounding the light bulbs and broke all the glass around it. Now, honesty would be this. Mom would get home. I'd be hanging out in my room. I'd be like, ah, I really hope mom doesn't come in here and ask me about what happened. If she asked me, I'll probably tell her, you know, I did it. That's my bad. That's honesty. Vulnerability and transparency is breaking something. Hey, mom, I know you're at work right now, but I broke this thing. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's going to the person before they ever come to you. And many of us have an issue and we're like, ah, I kind of hope nobody asked me about this at church today. I hope they don't ask me how I'm doing because I'm not doing well. I hope they don't ask me. Transparency is going to your house party on Friday night or on Tuesday night and saying, hey guys, this week sucked. I had a terrible, terrible weekend. Let me tell you why. It wasn't waiting for them to ask. It wasn't waiting till you got to a church service and just say, you know what? Jesus knows my heart. I said that lie for a long time. I said, Jesus knows what's going on inside me. He can heal me but I never actually gave it to him. I wasn't, I wasn't even transparent and honest with Jesus. And he knows all. Many of us are trying to hide from an all-knowing God. There is no hiding. There is no hiding. Adam and Eve in the garden knew they were naked and they tried to hide, but God knew. He knew exactly what was going on in their lives. So number one, you just have to recognize the problem. And I think that'll set a lot of people free. That's just a mental thing, okay? Number two is this. Jesus meets us where we are at. Super cliche, you guys probably already knew that, but Jesus meets us where we're at. This man at the pool of Bethesda was not looking for Jesus. He was not looking for the God of Israel to step in and heal him. He was looking for a pagan God. He was looking for the so-called God of Asclepius who was, who was the God of well-being and health and thought, hey, if I give enough money, this guy will heal me. He'll give me what I so desperately need. And while he was searching for that, this guy named Jesus steps on the scene and says, sir, do you want to get well? Because he already knows. The Bible said he knew that he had been laying there for a long time. Jesus already knows. And he's asking each and every one of you this morning, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Because let me tell you something that not many of us actually believe. Um, God wants us to be well. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to experience peace. Many of us wake up every morning anxious, nervous for what the day has to bring. And we just can't even bear the thought of getting out of bed and something going wrong that day. But Jesus wants us to be well. This man had been ill for 38 years and never, ever, ever made it to the water on his own to be healed. Yet Jesus came and found him where he was at. Now, I wanna show you guys with my closet here kind of what this looks like. Okay, Alex, you wanna come up here and help me really quick? Um, now, I gotta apologize. I had another volunteer lined up to help me this morning and these shirts fit that volunteer, okay? <laughs> these, are, these are Austin-sized shirts. 
These are, these are Austin-sized shirts, okay? So don't laugh at my friend Alex when he puts these on, all right? Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. I hope you're, I hope you're okay with that. Sorry. I'm fine. Okay, cool. Let me show you what this looks like, right? We got all these things that many of us actually wore to church this morning. All of you have something written on your chest, just like this, okay? Alex, go ahead and put that one on for me. Yep. I told you, don't laugh. I know what I signed up for. He did. He, he told me he was cool with this, okay? So many of us, we actually walked into, yeah, it's small, dude, I told you. You can, you can rip it, okay? You can hulk out. Yeah, give that up. You look good, buddy. Slimming, very slimming. Yeah, yeah, you look good, though. Many of us walked into church this morning with addiction written on our chest. And I want to share some statistics with you about some addiction. There's substance abuse, there's alcohol, maybe there's pornography. Let me show you some statistics about pornography addictions. As of May 2021, porn sites received more website traffic in the U.S. than Twitter, Netflix, Pinterest, and LinkedIn combined. That is a saddening statistic. That absolutely broke my heart. 84% of 14 to 18-year-old males and 57% of 14 to 18-year-old females have viewed pornography in the United States. That's a big number too. And this one really threw me for a loop. The average age of exposure to pornography is 12 years old. Our kids are seeing things they shouldn't see. Now with two kids in the world, I think to myself, it's a matter of time when they see it. Somebody at school might show them. Somebody might tell them something they don't need to be hearing. But many of us are, are wearing these things. We have addiction written on our chest this morning. Some substance abuse um, stats for you are this. Um, that substance abuse disorders affect over 20 million Americans aged 12 and over. That's right, 12-year-olds. There's teenagers who are experiencing substance abuse disorders. 47% of young people use an illegal drug by the time they graduate high school. 358,000 adolescents in the U.S. have had both a substance abuse disorder and a major depressive episode within the last year. 52,000 of those have happened in Oregon. That's local. That's home for us. There are people in Hermiston right now who are experiencing these things, okay? Maybe you struggle with an addiction this morning and you are weighed down by it. You have this shirt on that you can't quite get off. You've been trying for years, but it's still there. Many of us... Go ahead and put that one on too, Alex. He's gonna put all these on, just so you guys aren't shocked every time I tell him to put it on, okay? <laughs> Many of us live in fear. Fear of tomorrow, fear of the future, fear of what people might say of us, fear of following what God has called us to do. You think, wow, I, I don't think I can do that. People might make fun of me. People are gonna judge me. You all right, buddy? <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> all right, it's gonna be fun. But many of us have fear in our lives, and that has been the thing that has been weighing us down for far too long. We've lived our entire life of 50 years, and we're still scared. But God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, but we're still wearing this. Some of us are still wearing this shirt, but don't worry. It's going to get better. Go ahead and grab this next one. We got depression. He's got two more to go, okay? Depression. Many of us are experiencing mental health issues today. Many of us in the United States in the past have experienced these. And these numbers actually only seem to be on the rise since COVID, since all these things, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, all of these numbers have been on the rise. Let me share some statistics with you. Oh yeah, sure. I can multitask, it's fine. Every 40 seconds, someone dies by suicide. 
The estimated number of adults with serious suicidal, suicidal thoughts is over 10.7 million. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you've experienced suicidal thoughts. You've thought the world will be better off without me and you've thought that for a long time and you're ready to act on it. Jesus has a plan for you today. Maybe you experienced depression. Let me tell you this. 13.84% of youth aged 12 to 17 report suffering from at least one major depressive episode in the past year. Our youth are experiencing these things. And I've heard many, many uh, people older than my generation say, we never struggled with that in my generation. Why is it just now coming out? Because times are getting eviler. Is that a word? Times are getting crazier. So now our youth and our kids are experiencing and having to bear these burdens that they shouldn't have to. Many adults in this room are experiencing depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. Many of us live by people's opinions. We've been put in a box we, we go to Facebook, to Instagram, because we need to know what people think about us. We need to know, do they say I can do this? Because if they say I can, I can do it. I'm, I'm guilty of this. I went on Instagram a couple days ago, and I put out a poll, and I said, Instagram, tell me, should I pierce my nose? They said no, okay? But the point is that I asked Instagram about my life. I asked people that don't even know me about my life. And many of us are allowing the people that don't know us intimately to dictate the direction of our lives, okay? I'm guilty of it. I just shared the story with you. But many of us are allowing that to weigh us down, that we can't even move outside of the box that people have put us in. God has put a calling on your life to be a pastor, but you're stuck inside this box that says nine to five job, Monday through Friday, I gotta be here, this is my calling. But that's not your calling. You've only allowed people to say that to you. When I decided to go into ministry, I had so many people tell me, Austin, there's no money in that. I just bought a house. God is providing for me. I just had another child. God is providing for me. Kids eat a lot, okay? My two-year-old daughter, she'll eat all the hot dogs in our house in a day, okay? That's not a lie. But I'm telling you, if I would have stayed in the box that people put me in and decided that was for me, I would not be where I'm at today. And many of you have allowed people's opinions of you to keep you inside of a box and to weigh you down. You are shackled by people's opinions. We got one more shirt, unhealthy relationships. Anybody here in an unhealthy? I'm just kidding, you don't gotta raise your hands. <laughs> Many of us are living in toxic, unhealthy relationships, whether that be friendships, whether that be, we're just, we're so desperately searching for our spouse that we can't stop until, until we find them, that's unhealthy. Can I tell you that? Many of us are living in unhealthy relationships. I'm proud of you. You got them all on, buddy. That's the last one, okay? That's the last one. But many of us are allowing these unhealthy relationships to weigh us down, to dictate what we can and can't do, to tell us who we are, to treat us poorly. That's how many of us are living. Now, here's what it looks like, okay? The man at the pool of Bethesda, he did everything in his power to get out of the illness that he was in. He did everything in his power to find healing, okay? And I have with me some zip ties. So Alex, you wanna hold my microphone for me really quick? I'm gonna actually okay. zip tie your hands together, okay? All right. Okay? <laughs> I'm not joking. Let's do it. Here we go. You might have to add another one. Oh no, buddy. You're not getting out of that. Okay. Perfect. Can you, can you break it? Don't try, actually, it's scary. <laughs> now here's what I've done. Here's, here's what I've done. Alex is actually gonna try to take all those shirts off right now while his hands are zip-tied together. Go ahead, try your best. Take off the shirts. 
We'll wait. Look at this. This is what we look like. Trying to get out of our burdens, trying to get out of slavery on our own. Alex, I've hit a pair of scissors somewhere in this vast array of a room. If you can find the scissors, freedom is yours, my friend. Go ahead, go look. Go look. Yeah. This is us. This isn't just Alex. This is all of us who have been trapped, who have been weighed down, who have been burdened and have sought solutions in addiction, in, in pornography, in alcohol, in substances, in people. We've sought approval elsewhere. And he's still not free. He's not going to find the scissors. They're in my back pocket. Okay? He's not going to find them. But here's the cool thing. While Alex was searching for his scissors, Jesus met him to set him free. I don't want to cut you, buddy. Okay. And now he can take off the burdens that he's been wearing for so long, for about 10 minutes. What was that? Yeah, you can cut him off. That's fine. Thank you, Alex. Not only are we bearing these things, but we're enslaved to them. They have us shackled. They, have, they make it so we can't get out of them on our own. And the enemy knows that. He knows that as soon as he's got us into those things, there's no way in our own power are we ever going to get out. But Jesus doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care where you're currently looking to get out of those things. He'll meet you. 38 years in illness and trying on his own to get out, he met the man at the pool of Bethesda and said, do you want to get well? And the man did. He wanted to get well. It's not about how holy you are. It's not about how much you've prayed or fasted or how many times you raise your hands during worship or how loud you sing. It's not about any of those things. What it's really about is the love that God has for you individually in this room. The only reason that you could ever be set free from anything is because God loved you first. Not because you did anything to deserve it. As a matter of fact, all of us did the opposite. We actually deserve eternity in hell. Can I be honest with you this morning? We don't deserve to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. But because of his great love and mercy for us, he decided to set us free. And that brings me to point number three is this. This is God's heart. Freedom is God's heart. Many of you have probably lived in the lie that, that well, I, I deserve this. So I, I'm going to live it out. I deserve to be in this box. I deserve to have these shackles on. Maybe you've saw, seen somebody who's went to prison before and they say, I deserve this sentence. I got to play out my time so that way I'm even with the universe, with the world. So that way I do my time, okay? But that's not it. That's not it. Jesus wants to set you free. He actually wants you to be free more than you want to be free. Did you know that? That was something instrumental in my life that I didn't realize. I thought I was doing all the things. I went to all the conferences. I went to all the church services. I asked people to pray for me and I didn't tell them what was going on. And I thought I wanted freedom. But Jesus wanted it for me more than I ever could. And he wants it for you. No matter how big or how little the thing, it is, the thing is that you're struggling with today, he wants freedom for you. He wants you to walk without any weight on your shoulders. Because the thing is, we can't do what he's called us to do when we're way down, when we're holding on to so many things that we can't run after him, okay? That's why he wants you to be set free. Because he has an amazing plan for your life, one which you will never fulfill on your own. 
One that you will never fulfill weighed down with all the things that are in your life. John 5, 19 says this, truly true, this is right after our story takes place and, and Jesus heals this man. All the Pharisees say, hey, it's the Sabbath. You can't heal on the Sabbath. Okay, that's bad. Don't do that. And Jesus tells them this, something instrumental. He says, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. Jesus set this man free of 38 years because God wanted him to. He only does what he sees the father doing. And Jesus' life was actually all about setting people free. If you read the gospels, you see that he went from place to place, from town to town, healing, saving, setting free, delivering, feeding, saving, delivering, setting free. It was this over and over process that he would do everywhere he went because that is God's heart. That all people, not just me, not just the pastor on staff, all people would experience the freedom that God has to offer. When he died on the cross, let me tell you the story of Jesus. He's about to head to the cross. It was, it was the tradition on a, on a holy day that they would set free a prisoner, okay? Now, there's, there was this notorious prisoner. His name was Barabbas. And Barabbas was this murderer, this rebel, this insurrectionist, okay? They brought him before the people, Pilate did, in shackles, in chains. He was on death row. They brought Jesus, who had just been sentenced to death row, even though he was innocent, in shackles, in chains. And they said, people, this is what Pilate said, who do you want me to set free to you? And you better believe the crowds chanted for Barabbas. They wanted Barabbas to be set free among them. And here's why this is important to us. Because many of us believe that God doesn't want us to experience freedom, that we get what we deserve. But what happens here is that we're actually Barabbas. And when Barabbas went free, guess who didn't? Guess who actually took Barabbas' punishment? Jesus did. 2,000 years ago, Jesus kept the shackles and the chains that rightfully belonged to you. The shackles and the chains that we so earned by our sin, our wrongdoing, and our error. They were ours. Yet Jesus took the shackles, walked to the cross, and died the death that we should have. That's the gospel. But that tells me right there in that moment that Jesus wants us set free. Do you guys know something crazy? Jesus loves Barabbas. He loves the murderer. He loves the porn addict. He loves the alcoholic. He loves those with unhealthy relationships. He loves you no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you are. He died to set you free. That's how I know God wants each of you free in this, in, in this room. I don't just say that like I got a revelation from God. I say that because the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me that each person is now an equal receiver of the freedom that Jesus paid for. Not just me, not just some of us, but all of us. Jesus wants you to walk in that freedom. So with the worship team coming back up, um, I just wanna give you guys some things that we can do today to really be set free. And we're gonna do something a little uh, untraditional, something that we don't normally do here at Hermiston Assembly, but I believe God wants to do something supernatural and something powerful in our lives, okay? I believe God wants to set some people free this morning. There are people in this room who feel weighed down. God's been speaking to you this entire service. You feel like your heart's just burning. You can't even sit still because God wants to set you free right now.
and you're scared of it. I remember being scared of it. I remember thinking I'm never gonna get free. Today's the day. Today's the day that God wants to set you free. Don't miss an opportunity. Because if you miss this opportunity, that's on you. You are then sentencing yourself to a life of guilt, of shame, of heaviness, of condemnation. But right now, Jesus is asking each of you this question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now, you have a choice. You can answer that question, no. You can say no. Like I said, Jesus isn't going to make you. But I'm telling you, there is a wall standing right in front of you, and you can just walk around it. Jesus is giving you the option to say yes, and he will break the wall for you. That's all it's going to take. So here's what I want to do. Can I have all of you stand with me this morning? And I want to give each of you in here an opportunity to actually become a Christian today, to become a follower of Jesus. That's the first thing we're going to do. If you're in here and maybe you've been at church before, maybe you've seen this whole God thing, or maybe you've tried it before, but you really, really, really want to give your life to Jesus because he's the only hope, because he's the only freedom, I want to give you that opportunity. So if I can have you guys close your eyes, every head bowed, every eye closed, and I'm going to count to three. If you want to receive Jesus this morning and begin a life with him, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, your life will never be the same. Two, three. If that's you this morning, shoot that hand up high so I can see. God is doing a work in you. Don't be ashamed of it. Walk in that freedom. Be unashamed in your freedom. Would all of you say this prayer with me? Dear Lord, thank you for freedom. Thank you that you died for me. God, I want to follow you. I accept your free gift of eternal life. I repent of my sins and my wrongdoing. God, I want to live for you. I invite you into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give a hand for those whose hands were raised and made a decision to follow Jesus today? Praise God. I told Naya, who shared her testimony earlier, that's the best decision you'll ever make. I guarantee it. Money back, guarantee. Okay? If you made that decision this morning, don't leave without telling one of the pastors here. We want to get you plugged in. We want to get you connected. We want to get you set on the right path to freedom. Okay? Because it's a lifestyle now. It's not just a one decision fits all. It's a every day I got to walk this thing out. That's why I asked you to say yes before I told you that because I wanted you to, yeah. Anyway, lastly, if you're here today and you just feel like you can't live another day, that you are being held down by sin, by addiction, by people's opinions, by relationships, by fear, by mental health, by suicidal thoughts, I wanna give you an opportunity to get set free. And we're gonna do something different because I think that when you take a step of faith, the freedom happens right there. And this is gonna feel scary for a second, but I'm gonna ask you to come forward because I wanna pray for you this morning. And I want everybody in this room to see the bravery that you've had, that you've been living one way for so long, but you are ready to make a decision today, okay? So if that's you, I'm gonna count to three. I want you to step out into the aisles and I want you to come right in front of me because God wants to do something with you. 
I'm not just saying that, and I'm not just trying to manipulate you guys to do this, but there are people in here who need freedom. This is no judgment. This is a safe zone right here. Where Jesus lives, change happens. And Jesus lives in this house. Okay? So on the count of three, I want you to step forward with me. One, two, three. I want you to come forward because I believe that God is doing something today. Let's clap for these people. This is amazing. God wants to set you guys free from whatever it is. This is bravery. This is hard. I've been in these footsteps. It's not easy. Would you guys hold your hands out like this? Because I'm going to pray for you. Would you guys join me in praying for these people? Lord, I thank you for each person in here this morning. I thank you for their bravery today, God. And God, you have plans for their life. Amazing plans that they can't get to on their own. And God, right now, I ask that you would give them freedom like they've never experienced before. God, they were in chains when they walked up here, but they're not anymore. God, right now, I declare freedom. The freedom that only you can bring. God, you came to bring life and life to the full, and I pray that each individual here would not walk out of here the same way that they walked in this morning. God, that there would be a fire set in their hearts for you, for freedom, that they would take their story, Lord, and tell the whole world what you've done for them. God, I pray that they would be unashamed in their freedom, and God, I pray that you would use these people mightily. God, that no, no power nor anything would get in their way, God, because your love is so much greater. God, I thank you for each individual here right now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna lead in one last song. And you know what? You guys are free to worship up here. This is bravery. This is freedom. There is nothing to judge. There is nothing to make fun of. This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. This is why we do what we do. This is why pastor spends countless hours praying for you because people need it. And these people up here, you guys have received it. So we're gonna spend some time and we're gonna worship, but don't be so quick to leave. Spend time, pastor said it this morning, God is in this room. His presence is tangible and he wants you to experience it. So let's do that.